Well, I think it's most appropriate that this morning um, the teaching is going to be um, right in line with what we're talking about on the celebration of life. Yay! You're cracking me up. I don't think I've ever been taken over by a kid like that. That was so... She was just like, just so different. It was awesome. Um, so uh, this, um, this teaching this morning is not connected to any series that we're doing. It's just standalone. I just felt moved by God that we should talk about this. Uh, about, and it's really about the meaning of life. And in particularly, what do we do with grief and suffering and loss? And how does that make sense? And um, I, you know, Garrett and I talk about this as like, we talk about how to understand as Christians grief and loss and suffering and why is there, you know, pain in life and so forth. And, and we'll sit around and we'll talk and he'll go like, well, I'm going to talk about it three times this year, you know, because everybody just keeps writing on those what questions they ask God stuff. You know, why is there pain and suffering? And he goes, I'm going to preach on it three times this year. And I go, okay, well, I'll preach on it a couple times this year. And, and then, you know, the next week you guys are like, hey, why don't you guys never, well, how come you guys never talk about grief and pain and suffering and loss? And, and uh, I go, well, you know, it must be one of those topics where we could just talk about it pretty much every Sunday in some form or fashion, and, and everybody would probably say, like, yeah, that's great. And I'm going to tell you that this morning, we're going to take a different spin on it, and I'm going to go to Ecclesiastes. So if you brought your, you know, on your smartphone, if you actually brought a dead tree Bible, uh, you know, or something like that, or on your iPad or whatever, and you want to look up Ecclesiastes chapter 3, uh, the very place where the opening song as Charlie said, you guys were standing out in the lobby, missed the birds, uh, turn, turn, turn song uh, to everything's a season. And it was wonderfully done by Ben and everyone. But Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and you'll want to look at it because it's worth looking at. And that's where we're going to take our text. And so um, the different spin you'll see, we're going to take a wisdom approach to understanding the meaning of life. And so we have to begin with this question. With so much pain, suffering, and grief, and fear in the world... Is life meaningful? With so much pain, suffering, grief, and fear in the world, is life meaningful? Is life meaningful? This is our question. And I'll tell you as a spoiler right now that when you walk out of here, you may not, you may not have the full answer. This is a difficult question. Why, God, did my father have a stroke at age 55 and remain paralyzed on one side for 25 years for the rest of his life? His vivid personality gone, his intellect gone, his ability to relate to people well. Why, God, did my mother die of kidney failure brought on by diabetes? She didn't sin to cause this. It's just bad genes, I suppose. But why was she taken from me? Why isn't she still alive? Why, God, did Lori and I struggle for over 10 years with infertility? The numbing effect it has that, that causes on, on two people. With so much pain, suffering, and grief, and fear in the world, is life meaningful? And then here comes Solomon in Ecclesiastes, and this is his answer out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven. He begins. He's saying there's an appointed time for everything under the heavens. Everything has its time. Everything belongs. 
Everything has a place, a moment, and a reason, and a purpose. And immediately we find that Solomon does not believe that God is weak or that God is absent or that God has somehow wound up the clock on the universe and then he went off to have a lunch break. He doesn't say that God is some on, on some sort of journey like God's just learning like the rest of us and, you know, he's just going to figure this out someday. But in the meantime, we all have to struggle. He's not saying, Solomon's not saying that evil wins in the end. Solomon is not saying that Satan is foiling and spoiling the plans of God and that God and, and um, Satan are in some sort of dualistic battle, a cosmic battle. No, that's not what Solomon's saying at all. He's saying God is sovereign and God is present in everything and that everything has a time and a place and a season and it is all within this thing of what we may as well call God. And then he goes on, just in case we don't understand it. And this is where the song comes from. Verse 2, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to throw away stones, a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Solomon is saying that whether or not you're a human being or or a kumquat, there is a time and place for everything in, in all the universe. Someday, you and I, whether we want to admit it right now or not, or even like to think about it, someday you and I will get a phone call that says that your parent has passed. Someday, someday, there'll be a time, on the other hand, when you get perhaps a, a celebration. Maybe you get an inheritance. Maybe your mortgage ends. Maybe you get a big promotion. Maybe you get a big pay raise and you and the spouse and your friends or whatever will go down to the plaza and buy some big expensive bottle of wine or cheap champagne or whatever like that and and party and eat a big old heart-stopping steak or whatever. There is a time to receive the phone call and there is a time to celebrate. And it all belongs in the wisdom of God. It's all right there. All of these things have their ordained time, Solomon says, and we don't know what life is going to bring. Now, I don't know if this gives you some sort of a warm fuzzy. It probably does not. Like, you know, this is not the warm fuzzy sermon. This is the meaning of life sermon. Instead, if you're quick this morning, you're going to begin to put two and two together and begin to think with your your sharp philosophical mind, and you're going to begin to think like, you know what that guy's saying? He's saying that, Uh, You know, if I was feeling pretty hopeless with God out of the picture, you know, and that life is just driven by wishy-washy, hapless fate, then I don't need a God. And then I think he's also just saying that with God in the picture, it's just the same as if there wasn't a God. It's all just fate. And it would be easy at this point 
to sneer and be cynical and throw in the towel and say, the guy has no idea what he's talking about. It all just ends up being the same way no matter what. Here are some foundation blocks, and I don't expect you to memorize these, and that's why I'm not going to put them on a screen or on a board or anything like that. They're just things that you may grasp even for just this moment, and then they'll vanquish, and it's just fine. Here's some foundation blocks about life taken from the third chapter of Ecclesiastes. The first one is, is that the goal of Solomon's teaching is that you and I should become wise, that we should learn what wisdom is, that we would gain a heart of wisdom for living. And folks, here is the definition of wisdom. And I'm giving this to you from Gerhard von Rad. I like saying Gerhard von Rad, a German theologian from the 20th century, Gerhard von Rad. I say it sometimes like Tourette's, Gerhard von Rad. But I like saying Gerhard von Rad. Gerhard von Rad said this, and if you want to write down anything this morning, this may be good, but you probably won't need to. Wisdom is learning how life works. Wisdom is learning how life works. You do this all day long. If you're a dad or a mom and you have a kid who's got a longboard like my son and all summer is like, put your helmet on. Why do we want, I don't, none of my friends are wearing a helmet. Okay, that's fine and dandy. I don't care if you break your wrist or both wrists or you crack your knees or your ankles or hurt or get bruised up. I really don't care. All that heals. But if you splatter your brains out on the street when you fall off that longboard and you're a vegetable, your mother's going to be very put out. Wear your helmet. I should know. I'm a wise guy, and I have splattered my brains on the street before when I was a kid. It's not fun. Wear your helmet. That's just wisdom. That's just learning how life works, right? Right in there with parenting. You chug that Mountain Dew before dinner, and you're not going to have room in your stomach for all those wonderful vegetables. And the kid's thinking, like, I already got that part down. That's exactly why I'm doing this. Um, (laughs) This is the way wisdom works. And our first thing to understand is that God knows how life works. God is wise. God understands how life works. God is wise. You look at the next few verses, verses 9, 10, and 11. What does the worker gain from his toil? Solomon says. I've seen the burden God has laid on people. He's made everything beautiful in his time. He's also set eternity in the hearts of people. Yet they can't fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Amen. Solomon's playing the devil's advocate here. He's saying, he's saying what many might be thinking. What does the toil in life get me? It gets me nothing. But Solomon says it's not like that. God has put everything into a proper place. It all belongs. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Nothing is amiss. Better yet, we all know this innately, whether you're an atheist or an agnostic or a believer or a Christian or any other faith or religion out there. Everyone has eternity set into their heart already. It is there. Blaise Pascal called it the God-shaped vacuum or whatever you want to call it. But there is something that draws you to God and it is initiated by the Almighty that draws you toward the Creator. You know, you know, somewhere back beyond your mind, down in your soul, that everything belongs to God. We intrinsically know there is a wise planner to the universe. 
You don't have to be religious, though, to have this thought. You don't have to be weak-minded that somehow the universe has a grand scheme. I have a relative who thinks that all Christians are weak-minded. He thinks that we've all caved into some sort of stupid myth or lie and that we're all just, you know, la-di-da, sort of distracting ourselves into thinking. The problem is, is that he's making the mistake that sometimes Christians make too, which is this. There is a God who would make everything perfect. We live in a world that is not perfect. There is a gap. And he says that gap means that there is no God. Some Christians say there is a perfect God where everything works out perfect. My life is not perfect. And so then we just stick this la-di-da God in the middle of it. And that's going to answer. It's the God of the gaps. This big old gap, just shove God in there. And my, my, my relative thinks that that's a stupid thing to do. And yet, in the end, it all turns out, I don't think I've met a more angry, disconnected, frustrated person on the planet. What difference did it make to say, I don't believe in God. I am captain of my ship. It ends up the same. Everything ends up the same. And this is what Solomon is trying to get through to us. He's saying it all belongs in God. There is no perfect God and imperfect world. It's all within something called God's realm. It all belongs See, we all really are trying to ask God, why? Why? Why is there suffering and grief and loss and fear in the world? And God does not tell us why. God is mysterious, and that could be a cop-out until you dwell on it for a long time and study it, and you'll still end up saying, God is mysterious. There are things about God we don't know. And in our modern scientific age, that's a very difficult thing for us to swallow. There was a day when humanity believed that that was a beautiful thing to say. John Calvin, I mentioned John Calvin earlier during the baptism. And John Calvin was one of the people who said primarily that God is a mystery. The smart people of the faith have come around to saying like God is a mystery. There are things we don't know. See, the deal is, everyone, we all want a roadmap. You want to know what's going to happen tomorrow and how you're going to get there and how much money it's going to take and when you're going to be done with this so you can move on to that. And you don't get a roadmap in life. You get a compass. As a matter of fact, you get a compass instead of a roadmap and you get a compass and that compass is given to you, by the way, in the midst of a fog. A really, really thick fog on a very, very high hill. And you don't know where you're going to go until you start walking with a compass. You know which way to go. You have no idea where you're going. You don't know if you're going to fall down a rocky path or if it's going to go up or down or whatever. Be in water, snow, ice. You don't know where it's going to go. You get a compass in life, not a road map. And if you want the road map, you will be a very, very frustrated person. And moreover, you will not understand the heart and mind of God. You'll lose your soul. you will become a chronic worrier. I can't imagine how many millions and millions of dollars are spent in counselors' offices because of anxiety. And here we are, one of the most affluent, rich, well-to-do countries in the world. We, this afternoon, you can go to any restaurant you want. 
I have an idea where some of you are going to go here in just a minute. I'm going to let you know where you're going to go this afternoon to eat lunch. But we are the most anxious people around. And into this, Jesus Christ, in the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon, his most famous sermon, he comes in and he says this. He gets it. He gets Solomon's wisdom. This is what he says. Do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. You can only live one day at a time, everyone. That's why when we pray the Lord's Prayer, it says daily bread. Fundamental to Jesus' teaching about life is the same echo of Solomon's thought. Don't let what you cannot know destroy what you can enjoy today. Don't let what you do not know keep you from enjoying today. Daily bread, one day at a time. What will it add to your life if you worry all the time? Will it add anything to your life? And of course, in this day, in our medical age, you say, no, actually, it'll take away days of your life by worrying. Don't let what you can't know destroy what you can enjoy today. And I don't know how to give this to you any, in any better illustration than this. But I'm going to have to do this to you. You know, the nice people at Gates, I told them a short end, hold the sauce, because, you know, my mom, like I said, died of diabetes, so a few years ago I stopped getting the sauce. But when I'm up there, the nice people at Gates, I said, hey, can I change it to a slab? And they said, yes, sir, you can. I think she called me honey. And um, (laughs) don't let what you don't know destroy what we can enjoy right now. You guys talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> you might want to think about which barbecue is the best in town. Arthur Bryant's is a little peppery, isn't it? That smokestack. Casey Masterpiece. That's like that commercial grade grocery store stuff. But Gates, Hayward's is what I grew up on. Hard for me to get over there these days. But Gates, dry rub, I'm home. I told first service there'd probably be a mad rush after service to get up here and get on this slab. So I'm probably going to get more positive comments today about my sermon than I've ever gotten all year. <laughs> oh, pastor, we love you. You see, what Solomon's saying is that you need to go enjoy a plate of ribs. That's what he's really trying to get at. I kid you not. He's saying, what, what can you enjoy? What can you add to your life by worrying? And what's to tell you? Do I have stuff all over me? What more is there than that a person wakes up in the morning, goes and has a hard day's work, comes home, enjoys their family, and eats their dinner, and sleeps well that night? That's what Solomon's trying to get across to us. I got my eye. What are you doing? You can't. Your microphone. Oh, oh yeah, thank you. I thought she was coming for the ribs. I kid you not. 
What can you add to your life by worrying? You see, if you're thinking cheaply and superficially, you think like, well, that's cute, but that's really, and that's goofy, but that has nothing to do with answering the question of the meaning of life. And I tell you that Solomon says, oh, yes, it does. It is the meaning of life. He is saying this just like Jesus and all the rest of them. Everyone in the, in the wisdom tradition, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life, Jesus says. And the answer comes back rhetorically, no one can. You have to enjoy each day. And these days, as the seasons turn, as Charlie was saying, and the leaves begin to change, and the air is crisp, is it not a time where we contemplate the meaning of life and we understand joy? And you understand now where you're going to be going to lunch today, right? (laughs) Gates. And you understand that you have to say to yourself, this afternoon, what more is there? than to take each day at a time, not consumed by the cancer of anxiety and worry, and that your problems in your life, which are always there, and some of you have much, much, much worse problems than I can ever even imagine, they will be there in God, inside of God's control and realm. Do you understand this long journey you have to take on this? This is not some flippant, cheesy greeting card answer that says, well, it all works out in the end. Good luck. No, this is saying from Solomon's mouth, from the teacher, saying the wisdom of life is to understand you must, you must work hard at embracing and enjoying every moment, even in the midst of pain. Tears are legitimate. Sorrow is is there. And when you have someone die who's close to you, you know that the world stops and life does not move on. Things are frozen in time. But you must rest in the sovereignty of God. There is no other choice. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 14. Solomon, the teacher, says this, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will revere him. God does this so people will revere him. The disciples asked Jesus one time, why did that tower fail and collapse and kill those 18 people? And, you know, they wanted Jesus to say, well, because those people were evil and they were being condemned and judged. And Jesus says, no, it's for the glory of God. And we sit around and say, like, that's the lamest answer I've ever heard. For the glory of God, those people were crushed by a tower? This is what we must understand in the Jewish tradition, in the Hebrew tradition of wisdom. It's like my brother-in-law who passed away several years ago who's Jewish. And he said, he'd make these jokes. They're always kind of these funny, lame Jewish jokes. He'd say, how come Jews don't have necks? And then he'd go. <laughs> and, and my brother-in-law didn't have a neck, by the way. And he would do that, and it was even extra funny. What do you do 
in the midst of pain and suffering and grief and fear. You eat a slab of ribs. You watch the sun come up and the sun go down. You step outside and you look at the stars. And you say, what else can I do, God? I praise your name. When Jews mourn where there's a funeral, they have the Kadesh. They sing the Kadesh. The Kadesh is not a sad song. The Kadesh is a happy song about God. And when we Americans, when, you know, when this church goes down to Haiti to help the people down there after the earthquake and all that and the orphans and all that, and we go, man, I bet those people are bummed out down in Haiti, man. They don't have any food. There's 30% unemployment. They've got medical issues and all that. And then they go to church and people are in there dancing and singing and praising God. And then we're all kind of doing a brain check saying like, what? How can they be happy when their life's so miserable? And then we come home and we think like, why are we so miserable? Like, lesson learned. Old King Solomon, at the end of his life, he reflects back on his days and he says, God endures not my kingdom, not my power, not all my armies, not these people bowing down to me, not my crown, not all my riches, not even my wisdom will endure, Solomon says. None of it will endure. It all returns to the dust of the ground. And these days, everyone, all of these political things that we have going on and this election and these you know, candidates for this stuff and this immigration and refugees, I'm not saying la-di-da doesn't matter. I'm saying someday justice will happen. And evil does not win because it's all inside of God. And it will be justified. And those that do wrong will, be, will, will earn their, you know, just desserts. And it will turn out good because it's all inside of God. But that's a whole other talk. Understand this and you will be wise beyond your years, everyone. There are many people going around this country who do not understand how life works. They do not understand that part of the great answer in life is eating a slab of ribs and knowing why you're doing it. You don't just go out and eat it. It's a piece of poetry. (laughs) Ollie. Ollie Gates, the poet. That's all I have to tell you. You must go out and enjoy life. No matter what is going on. This is not distraction. This is not ignoring it. This is not some sort of, I can't think about it right now stuff. This is saying in the face of actually realizing and thinking about it, I am going to eat a slab of ribs. Do you understand? The same thing of why the, 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 the little ensemble played music when the Titanic was going down. You understand. It's all you can do. Well, we'll end it up with children. And because Sarah's going to uh, come up in a moment and tell us about serving the children around here, which is one of our most joyous things. But before that, let's watch a little video on how and what it looks like to be in our children's ministry.